Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. As you're finding it, um, I don't know if you've begun, like Aaron described, if you are already decorating and listening to Christmas music or shopping, or I don't know how you go about Christmas. I, I'm kind of like her. I really enjoy it as well. We might start decorating this afternoon. I'm not sure. Um, but it's very easy to lose Christ in the shuffle of Christmas. I've heard a lot of people say around Thanksgiving that they love Thanksgiving because it's just not stressful like Christmas is. You don't have to do all the shopping and you don't have to plan quite as big as the get-togethers and there's not as much going on. And this time of year can become the very busiest time of year of, of all the times of year. And it's just very, very easy for we Christians to lose sight of Christ in the shuffle of Christmas. And if we lose sight of Christ we really lose sight of ourselves. If we lose sight of Jesus Christ and his purposes and why he ever came to begin with, we immediately immediately lose sight of our own lives and what our purpose is. And life can quickly become very stressful and can feel, feel very frustrating and can be very futile. And so I'm glad I caught you on the front end of Christmas so that we can go ahead and, and set our feet on solid ground on Jesus Christ and, and remind each other of what's really important and what Jesus came for now before we get into all of that. And and our passage, there's a lot in our passage that I'm going to have to leave by the wayside. And uh, this is one good reason to be a part of a house-to-house group because you can discuss through a lot of what I'm not going to be able to focus on this morning. Uh, For our purposes this morning, we're just going to be looking at sort of the back half of the passage. But I want us to read it together, just sort of walk through the passage together, and and then I just have two points of reminder of why he came and what that means for us as Christians. But before we read it, um, pray with me. Let's pray. Let's ask God to really speak to us through his word. Father, it it can be really difficult for us to focus on your word for a period of time. And I know you know that. I know that, thank you, that we have a high priest that can sympathize with our every weakness, including just drowsiness or distractedness because of the worries and cares of life or uh, rumbling, hungry stomachs. Lord, I pray that you would help us to overcome any distraction right now and just give ourselves wholeheartedly to your word. And I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit to proclaim it accurately in its full power. And I pray that you would fill us all with your Holy Spirit to receive it in its full power and to be transformed by it. So we look to you now. We trust in you and all your promises about how your word will not go forth without accomplishing its purposes. And we rest in that now, excited to see what you may do in our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read the passage together. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, referring to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Now, probably already you're maybe shocked at 
their arrogance to come up and ask Jesus for this. I don't think it's probably culturally here as bad as it strikes us. It's not great. But they had a culture of um, patronage where it was really expected that if you had friends or relatives in high position, that they would help you out and they would give you higher position. And it wasn't all that unheard of to have that expectation and to even maybe initiate it yourself. And you'll see as we go on that Jesus actually doesn't rebuke them for it. And he doesn't seem to be angered that they asked him this. And um, it kind of shows that they believe he really is going to be in glory. And it shows an ambition that steered in the right direction could, could be good. They want to have, you know, responsibility in his kingdom. They want to have uh, a real engagement in it. So let's not get too angry at them just yet. So let's continue in verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now, those phrases indicate throughout other scriptures suffering. That cup, that baptism, it's most likely he's referring to suffering that he's going to endure Verse 39, and they said to to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. That last verse is really key. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus Christ come? There's many ways to answer that theologically and biblically and scripturally. And we're going to consider it from this specific angle this morning. The Son of Man, that's Jesus Christ, that's a phrase full of prophetic importance from the Old Testament. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to serve. And it's important that we start there with Jesus and go back frequently to that point as Christians. When I was a teenager in the youth group, I don't know... Why? But my pastor recruited me and another one of us from the youth group to enroll in Evangelism Explosion. Have you ever heard of Evangelism Explosion? EE? Okay, so a couple of head nods. It's, it's a course you go through and it trains you how to do personal evangelism. And it equips you with, um, it, the way we did it, it equipped us basically with a script. And then we went through the training And then, in one of probably the very most awkward experiences I've ever had as part of the church, 
we were packed into the pastor's car and driven to strangers' houses and sent out to their door to knock on the door and, and try to go through this outline with them that we had, our homework was to like memorize the outline. So we had to go to the door and, and sort of present this canned evangelistic outline to them. It was honestly probably the worst experience I've ever had as a Christian as part of the church. I, I will never make you guys do that. But I do appreciate the heart behind it, and I still I, I benefited from it in many ways. Uh, it, it it was sort of, I, I can't think of the term for it, but it, it immediately made you face your fears of talking about the deepest, most important subjects with absolute strangers um, and even just knocking on random strangers' doors to begin with. The one question I remember, one of the key tenets of evangelism ex- explosions are its questions, and one of them that I remember and is good is, and this is so this is me as a teenage kid, like 13, 14, talking to some stranger adult. If you were to die today, and stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? So all the awkwardness and, and the, the, the stuttering, you know, uh, fear of a, a kid trying to repeat this memorized thing to a stranger, that's a powerful and important question. So I ask you, and think about it, if you were to die today, Okay, and, and setting aside all the having Christian doctrine for a moment, if you were to die today, one way or the other, next thing you know, you stand before God himself, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Nine times out of ten, maybe ten times out of ten, all the answers had to do with things that they had done to earn entry into heaven. Well, I've really tried to be a good person, so you should let me into heaven. I really tried to be involved in church, so you should let me into heaven. I've really tried to give generously to the church, so you should let me into heaven. And people who had been in church for decades upon decades, ultimately answering wrong. Because we don't gain entry into heaven based on anything we've done. That's the whole point. We can't earn it. We can't get there. If you were to die today and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? The only answer is because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, not because of stuff that I have done, because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm with him. You know, you really shouldn't let me into heaven if it were just me standing here, but I'm with Jesus. And through his death on the cross, I've received forgiveness from my sins and been cleansed and washed clean and reconciled to you. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. You first and foremost, when you meet Jesus, you first and foremost must meet him as your Savior, one who is serving you. If you meet Jesus first and foremost as your taskmaster and you immediately begin trying to serve him, you've missed an extremely important step. You really can't know Jesus as your Lord until you've known Jesus as your Savior. 
Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word ransom means just what, pretty much what you would think. It's to free someone from a great danger at a great price to yourself. So Jesus gave his own life to f- save you from the great danger of damnation so that you could be saved. You have to start there. We are, most foundationally as Christians, we are recipients. You ever, Christmas morning, open just a really, really great gift? That disposition is really our core identity for all of our life. We are just recipients of the most amazing, greatest gift ever. We were served by Jesus Christ. He gave his life as a ransom for us. Jesus came to serve, and this has uh, implications for us as Christians and how we live. And that's the second point I want to point out from this passage. Jesus came to serve, therefore Christians are to serve. Everything he taught the disciples hinged on verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Let's read it starting at 42. So after James and John had made their request, Jesus did a little bit of teaching about how they were going to have to suffer. And then the disciples heard about it, the other ten disciples, and they were really mad. And so Jesus calls them all to himself for some more teaching. In verse 42, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For, because of the fact that Jesus Christ came in this manner, therefore we need to live in this manner. If we're going to call ourselves Christians and follow Jesus Christ as his disciples, we are to be Christ-like in this manner. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. We come to serve, not to be served. Jesus lived his life in service. We are to live our lives in service. Meredith, she's not here right now, so I'm going to tell this story. I've told it before. She didn't get angry. So, um, Sometime back in high school, she had... I don't remember what the reason was. She wasn't on the basketball team, but for some reason she was playing basketball in front of the whole school. It was some special thing. I don't really remember why. She was playing basketball in front of the whole school, and she, during one play, she got the ball, and she dribbled to the basket, and she shot, and she made it in, and it was a brief moment of glory, and then she turned around and realized she had shot on the wrong goal. She had gone to the opponent's goal. And so it was beautiful, and and she did a great job. It was a great, clean shot, but it was the wrong goal. You see, the disciples here and many of us are aiming at the wrong goal for our whole life. Many people do beautifully, and and they live their life uh, arduously, working hard, but they're aiming at the wrong goal the whole time. The disciples were still aiming at the wrong goal as they were trying to be great. And Jesus is just over and over again saying, no, 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 no. This way. You know, my kids have played sports, and this is what it is with little kids. You're just constantly trying to redirect them. No, 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 no. This way. Your goal's over here. And here Jesus once again to his disciples. No, no, no. We're not trying to be great like that. That's how the Gentiles, the non-believers, the people far from God, that's how they try to be great. 
Your ambition is good. It's good to want to be great. But that's just the wrong kind of great. You know, we don't grasp for authority. We don't grasp for power. We don't grasp for position. You know, we, that's not a thing to be grasped. We let go of that. We, we let the Gentiles grasp for all that. We grasp for a different kind of greatness, service, suffering for other people, giving our lives up for other people. That's true greatness. The disciples had it wrong. We often have it long, uh, wrong. And it is so frustrating to live that way. You know, we all have this component in us. In some of our relationships, some of our aspects of our lives, we try to lord it over people. And it is so frustrating because people will not comply with our lordship. Because they're trying to be lords. And so we're just a bunch of people trying to lord it over each other and trying to shirk off the lordship of other people who are trying to impress their lordship upon us. And it's so frustrating. You experience it when you're just trying to drive down the road. Why will my supposedly loyal subject in front of me not get out of the way? Does he not recognize my authority and who I am? We see it in our marriages. Why will my supposedly loyal subject not just do what I want them to do? Do they not realize who I am? We see it with friendships. We see it with one another in churches. We see it in the workplace. Futilely trying to lord it over one another. In a life of extreme frustration. Jesus says, just stop it. It's not even the right goal. You're all under the wrong goal, clamoring over yourselves like a bunch of idiots. You were never designed to reach and grasp for lordship over one another and position and power over one another. You're, you're getting your whole life wrong. Just get up, brush yourself off, and come over here and serve. That's the true path for greatness, and it's accessible to every single one of you. Some of you may feel as though you have nothing to offer in the kingdom of God. And it's absolutely not true because the greatest acts in the kingdom of God are not great acts of oratory. It's not who can speak the greatest or sing the greatest or organize the greatest church or whatever. It's those who serve. And everybody can do that. And that's true greatness. I was standing in the return line at the Walmart down Albemarle Road a couple of years ago after Christmas. So it's the, it's the Walmart, not the locust one, the big, nice, open, spacious return area at the locust Walmart. It's the Walmart down Albemarle Road where it's the size of a broom closet. And it's right at the entry. And it was after Christmas, so there was return merchandise heaped up everywhere. And there's a long line of frustrated people. And I was one of them. It was taking forever. And we just don't have time for that. And there was only one person working. And it takes so long to process every return. And you could feel the tension. And we were all just getting more and more frustrated. It was just a squalid place to be. It was dirty. You could tell they hadn't had time to sweep in weeks. And in the midst of all this chaos and frustration, an elderly woman had had made her way through the crowd in the line over to one of the motorized carts that you can ride on that has the cart on it. And she was trying and trying and trying. She just could not get the thing to work. She couldn't get it to work, couldn't get it to back out. I'm not really sure what the nature of her problem was. 
So here we all are in this line of, of frustration. And the one employee who was there processing all these returns, hearing, I'm sure, frustrated customer after customer, uh, pouring their frustration upon her, she very calmly said, excuse me, to the person next in line, and very calmly came out from around the counter and came up to this elderly lady and so patiently and so warmly and so kindly helped her. And she just took all the time necessary to make sure she was cared for and got out and was on her way. All the while, just had the most pleasant uh, expression on her face. Just seemed It was just such a clear act of loving service. And the juxtaposition of that versus all of us griping in the line was, was so jarring. It really changed the whole atmosphere of the place. And it remains one of, one of, I think about it often, it's one of the most beautiful, simple acts of service I've ever seen. And that is true greatness. In that moment, she was doing ministry. I don't know if she was a Christian, but assuming she was, she was doing precious, great ministry. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. Jesus came to serve, so Christians are to serve. That's what we should be characterized by. So, how about you? That's where we always have to land. We can't just hear God's word and walk away like somebody who saw their face in the mirror and then went away ignoring it. We need to change in light of it and listen to it. So how about us? Have you received Jesus' service, his, his life as your ransom? Have you received it? We have to start there. Having received it, are you serving? Are you freed by Jesus' loving service to you to lovingly serve the people around you? Or are you still grasping for power, trying to make people do what you think they ought to do? There's a real freedom here. There's a real freedom in stepping down from your makeshift throne and serving people like you were designed to do rather than trying to make them serve you. Tim Keller has a sermon, I think he also made it into a book, titled The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And I find even just that title invigorating. In Christ, we can have a freedom of self-forgetfulness, just to be, to exist for the benefit of those around us and just to forget about ourselves. We get so caught up in our own self, our own selfish ambition, and we can be freed from all that. My professor I have right now, uh, he's a great guy. And I don't know if this saying is original to him, but he was talking about these things in class one day. And he said, you know, in my teens and my 20s, I cared what everybody thought. I was trying to be awesome in everybody's eyes. I was trying to be the greatest in everybody else's eyes. And I cared what everybody thought. And then in my 30s and 40s, I didn't care what anybody thought. I knew I was great and I was going to do what I was going to do. And it didn't matter what anybody thought. And then in my 50s and 60s, I realized nobody's thinking about me anyway. (laughs) And at last, I'm free to just serve people, free from self-consciousness. That's ours in Christ, and it's very freeing. So this Christmas, remember that Jesus came to serve and receive it afresh. He came to serve you. He came to give his life as a ransom for you. Receive that and be freed from yourself to serve the way you're designed to. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you so much that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for me and for all of us here this morning. And I pray that if there's anybody who's not received it, that you would flip that switch in their heart, that you would ignite that faith in their heart, that they would believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they would take that first step forward in trusting and following him as their Lord. And Lord, may we all be servants, like Christ was a servant. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.